Hello there, I'm John Ryan and you're very welcome to the 21st episode of the Work Healthy Podcast, our last in 2023. If you're unaware of the concepts of salutogenesis or sense of coherence, today's podcast could be truly life-changing. If Aaron Antonovsky, the man who coined both phrases, had lived, he would have been celebrating his 100th birthday this very day. Our birthday gift today is actually time with his son Avishai, who gives us a great insight into the man and the development of those concepts that have truly transformed how we think about health, stress and anxiety, and indeed how we can cope successfully in our fast-changing world. I started our interview by asking Avishai to describe his father Aaron and how he developed the concept of salutogenesis. In 1960, he, he, uh, he and my mother, uh, his wife, uh, emigrated to, to Israel. Um, they lived in Jerusalem where he worked at the Hebrew University. And then uh, in 1972, he was asked to move to uh, uh, town city of Beersheba, which is in southern Israel. Uh, and to be one of the five founders of the new medical school, which was going to be established uh, then, uh, and uh, and he became the the uh, the chair of the admissions committee, which was unheard of. Uh, someone who is not a medical doctor um, chairing the uh, the admissions committee, and and the whole medical school was was. Uh, uh, set up in what was termed later the, the Beersheba spirit, because it brought something new. It brought a, a view of, of medicine and healthcare as something that should be uh, centered on, on a human being and not on a, a case of you know this or that disease. Uh, and people, students were sent from their first year already to uh, community clinics in development towns uh, to meet the people, to sit in with, uh, with the family uh, doctors and learn not only about uh, someone who has a headache or a, or a, a, a kidney infection or a, or, or a sore uh, throat, but also about uh, this person's family, this person's uh, um, Context, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the, given the context, because viewing the, the the patient as a as a whole human being, mm. and in those years, um, my father was involved in a study. He, he ran a, a study, a very large scale study, about uh, how uh, women adjust to menopause, and that was in the early 1970s. Uh, and in that study, in that large sample, there were two groups of women uh, that was in the 1970s. So, and women in his sample were in their 50s. Uh, so they were, that means they were born in the 1920s. So he had two groups of uh, women uh, who were born in Germany in the 1920s. One of those groups left Germany before World War II and came to what would later become the state of Israel. And the other group uh, went through the war in concentration camps. 
and survived uh, the most you know horrible experience one can mm. think of in the concentration camps and and then came to Israel and uh, when one of the things that was measured in that study was the satisfaction with life um, and it was found that in in the group of women who did not go through the concentration camps the women who came to Israel before the war uh, a little over 50% uh, were generally satisfied with life. Satisfied with life means we have a job, we have friends, we read books, we go out, we take vacations. Life is okay. Uh, and in the other group of women who went through the concentration camps, um, about 29, only 29% said they were satisfied with life. Um, now those 29% said, you know, they they have dreams, they have memories, but in general, life is okay. And uh, my father was looking at the data, and I, I remember I remember a lecture of his that that he gave uh, telling this story. He said, I was looking at the data, and I was asking myself, well, what's new here? I mean, this is trivial. Of course, women who went through the most excruciating experience will be much less satisfied with life even 30 years later uh, than women who did not. So, you know, what's what's the big issue here? And then he said to himself, you idiot, you're not looking in the right place. It doesn't matter that the difference between these two groups of women doesn't matter. What's important is those 29% of the women who were in concentration camps and still say life is okay. I would, this would be true even if it were 9%, not 29%. How, how do these, how did these women get by? What, what did they have that enabled them to go through this horrible part of life and it's not that they, after they came to Israel, life was, uh, uh, it wasn't the Garden of Eden. You know, there were mm -hmm. wars in Israel and and uh, all kinds of uh, things that they had to go through adjusting yeah. to a new country. And still, these women say life is okay. And this is when it occurred to him that no one before has ever, in in the uh, the health system, system, no one has ever asked systematically and scientifically the question, what creates health? What helps people maintain or move towards health? Uh, the medical establishment in the Western world for hundreds of years has been thinking and teaching and practicing the pathogenic model um, which is uh, which asks what uh, what's create what creates illness? Why do people get sick? How do we uh, um, uh, how do we treat sickness? Um, and later on, how do we prevent sickness? Um, and if so, so this is when this new way of thinking, this new this paradigmatic shift came along. 
some of the resources you talk about and, and maybe you'll share later where um, I've gone on to those websites and and read more. Um, and one of the things that stood out for me was um, uh, where somebody was asking students in a university, have you ever had a, a diagnosis of health? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it was really exactly. kind of interesting that I had never considered that like so that this this concept that health isn't just the normative it's not just the given it's something uh, it's a state to be achieved um right. and 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 i think that's an interesting difference and a different way of looking upon it uh, so yeah i mean if you could um share more about that salutogenic model that would be great um i think well before giving a little a metaphorical explanation about the difference between the pathogenic, the traditional medical pathogenic model and the salutogenic model. I'll tell a story of when I was a young uh, child, when we moved to the town of Beersheba, where the new medical school was established, um, we had an, we moved into a new home. We had a garden and uh, my father had planted uh, bushes and flowers in the garden and he would love to work in the garden although he was no gardener uh mm. and uh and that was in the southern part of israel where there's a desert hot desert climate and i remember one day going out to the garden with him and he was looking at all those plants and he said something like you know he was he said something like i it, it's very easy to understand why several plants will not make it they won't survive this desert heat they'll die soon the real mystery is how some plants will grow and blossom and be give beautiful flowers how th that's the real mystery hmm. and that is actually the salutogenic question before the term salutogenesis was coined hmm. um so the, the metaphor which was has been published in, in several places is the metaphor of uh, the river of life um now imagine imagine you're walking along the river you know the sun is shining the birds are singing the trees are uh, blossoming and and then suddenly you fall into the river you fall into the river that means you become sick and inside the river there are doctors waiting there and they jump and try to help you and and save you and, and keep you from drowning sometimes they succeed sometimes they do not in other words sometimes there is a cure sometimes there isn't no cure so that's the curative medicine you fall into the water or become sick and then doctors try to help you later chronologically came along preventive medicine the preventive medicine is those people who are standing outside the river trying to help you to prevent you from falling into the river they say if you don't want diabetes don't eat sugar if you don't want a heart attack don't eat fat uh, and so on they try to prevent you from falling into the river uh, now preventive medicine is also focused on disease because the question there is how to prevent disease x or disease y um according to the salutogenic model we are in the river, all of us are in the river to begin with. And it's not a matter of either you're sick or healthy. The, the classical medical models dichotomy between health and sickness. 
uh, we're talking about a continuum, what my father called uh, ease-dis-ease continuum. And we're in the water all the time in the river. Uh, and our mission is to try to swim upstream to move towards the health pole on this ease-dis-ease continuum. So all of us at any given moment in time are somewhere along this, uh, this continuum. Because we, now why are we always in the river? Because there's always, always something we have to face, some kind of challenge. I'm not talking only about health challenges, physical or mental health. I'm talk, talking about, uh, you know, I was on my way to an important meeting and my car broke down on the way. Uh, I, I, had a, uh, I had a fight with my wife or my husband this morning. Uh, my boss yelled at me. I, I have an overdraft in my bank account. The, the, the normal stresses of life. Exactly. The normal stresses of life. Well, there's always something we have to deal with. So that's why we're always in the water. And our mission is to uh, to swim upstream towards the health pole uh, um, on this ease-disease continuum. Mm. Um, so to summarize this point, um, we first of all, according to the salutogenic model, health and disease are a continuum. They are not. It's not a dichotomy. And second, uh, the, the Sotogenesis says, look at the whole person, not only at a specific type of, of uh, sickness. Um, and, uh, and the third thing is uh, look for uh, uh, health resources or, salutog uh, or uh, uh, salutary factors rather than rather than pathogenic factors and causes for illness. That's Yeah, and I mean, I think the, the river of life is such a wonderful um, metaphor for what, what we face as individuals. And, you know, um, there's so many things about a river um, that, you know, number one, it can be beautiful, uh, but like it, with water, it can also provide a, a danger. Um, so there's a, there's a balance um, and it depends whether you respect it or not. So sometimes we can respect our own bodies and sometimes we can disrespect them with what we do. Mm -hmm. um, but equally, you know, there's there's tides and currents that are currently are that are trying to pull us in a particular way. Um, and sometimes we have to work hard to try and fight against those. And um, sometimes, you know, uh, there can be a, a particular rocky patch that we go through and it can be mm -hmm. like white water rafting through <laughs> difficulties right and then then uh, the likes of covid comes along and that's just a pure tsunami coming at us so so in in the case that that we're on this continuum from ease to disease um mm -hmm. and sometimes we hit those harder points where it's kind of maybe chronic stress which isn't easy to get over what yeah. then is the salutogenic model proposing as the best way to to deal with those situations? Okay, so I'll 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 take this uh, uh, the tsunami uh, example of mm. COVID nineteen, which uh, which hit us. The, the principles we we uh, talked about were actually the derived from the uh, uh, the components of of the the uh, the core concept of the salutogenic model, namely sense of coherence. Mm. Because if, if I if I take a step backward, just to mention the sense of coherence, yeah, 
the, the salutogenic question is how do people move towards health? And the sense of coherence is actually the answer uh, to this question. It's, it's the, uh, it comprises, you know, it, it's similar to other concepts of, of you know, self-efficacy and hardiness and resilience. They are all under this salutogenic umbrella. And the, the concept of sense of coherence is, um, well, it is not a trait you're born with. It is not a state you're in at a given, on a given day. Uh, it's an orientation towards life. It's perceiving life and, and the challenges that life poses uh, as comprehensible, meaning I can understand what's going on and I am able to predict what will come next. Uh, and as manageable, meaning I have, I, I perceive that I have the relevant resources to cope with whatever challenges I'm facing. And these can be uh, uh, um, physical fitness, this can be uh, uh, money in the bank, this can be social support, this can be uh, uh, anything that is relevant for coping and uh, meaningful. We're viewing these challenges as meaningful, as, as worthy of engagement. This is a motivational uh, component. So this is what we talked with doctors and, and um, hospital uh, uh, um, personnel about. They and, and their patients as much as, uh, as much as they can they should stress the importance of knowledge about this disease, which in, in uh, March or April of 2020 was not much, um, but uh, and trying to have as much knowledge and convey knowledge to the patients as well. Uh, the importance of, uh, of uh, resources, coping uh, resources, such as social support from within, from medical staff and from families uh, around and sharing things. Well, this is going more into like therapeutic interventions, but the importance of, of, of uh, sharing and feeling that they're not alone. And, and what's your sense, <laughs> using that word again, in terms of uh, seeing people who have a high sense of coherence or a low sense of coherence, what, what are the contributory factors to that? And is it something that we, once we know conceptually about, that we can actually go on a journey to to increase our, our sense of coherence? Mm -hmm. um, well, if you would ask my father, he would say that the sense of coherence develops and stabilizes around age 30 uh once we're more or less we have a stable life we have we completed our education we have a steady job and so on and beyond that uh, a sense of coherence can change following very major life events positive or negatives but but if not so it's sort of fluctuations but it's more or less stable Today, today that is not as rigid. Today, uh, several theorists and scientists believe that it can be changed, it can be strengthened, and what contributes to a strong sense of coherence over the life course and from childhood 
um, is um, a sense of stability, providing the component of comprehensibility. Uh, stability in, in, in childhood, I know what will happen if, if I do A or if I do B. I can predict what will happen tomorrow, next week, uh, a, a year from now. Well, I'm not talking about a four-year-old sure. uh, predicting what will happen a year from now, but um, a sense of, you know, if, even if uh, the, my father or mother will come home from work and go to the playground with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, that's that's one thing. Now, for for comprehensibility, um, uh, information is not uh, uh, is not enough. The information has to make sense uh, and reduce uncertainty. Uh, for example, if I switch to Hebrew now, and I completed my answer, this would be giving you the same kind of information, but in a mode which would be yeah, uh, you couldn't understand. You couldn't make sense out of it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so this is comprehensibility. What can strengthen manageability uh, is, first of all, you know, the perception of I, I have, I have tools, I have resources to get along, uh, and this, uh, an example of this, or, or I'll, I'll say before that. Um, my father spoke about an overload-underload balance, which can give you experiences of, of successful coping uh, in which you do have to invest resources, but it's not overwhelming. Um, for example, my, my uh, older grandchild asked me a, a while ago to help him with uh, homework and mathematics. And I said, well, what kind of help do you need? He said, I want you to do my homework for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I did or tried to do my own homework when I went to school. And I helped your dad do his homework. I'm not going to do your homework for you. Um, and he insisted, and I insisted, but I but I didn't say, it's your homework. You, you, you do it. I, I suggested that we look at it together and try to understand what needs to be done and do one or two exercises together. And once he understands, he should do all the rest. Well, he, he tried to negotiate, but, uh, <laughs> but that's what happened. Uh, and, and he was later on, he was very proud of himself. Good. Uh, now, I, if, if I would have told him at the beginning, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's your homework. He probably it wouldn't get done, and yeah. he would he would experience a sense of failure. If I did if I did all of his homework for him, uh, it would be a success, but it wouldn't be his. Yeah, that's assuming I wouldn't make mistakes, which is not a very uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but this way, he had this sense of succeeding. He got help with what he got help from from a relevant coping resource, which was his grandfather in this example. Um, so so uh, 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 experiences of overload-underload balance, which can contribute to what we call manageability or a sense of control over our resources. And finally, meaningfulness is the main thing, according to Aaron Antonovsky, is the experience of contributing to your society or contributing to your 
community uh, which can express your your uh, um, your main values in life, or, or or bringing your values into reality, into uh, um, um, implementing what you believe in. Yeah. Um, so that gives a sense of uh, of It's, meaningfulness, and and this can be done in in not not half day uh, workshops, but but with more prolonged work, it can strengthen yeah. people's sense of coherence. It, it, it's fascinating because utilizing that model, it's been really interesting uh, working with leaders and trying to get them to understand that if you just leave an organization alone, that's a dangerous thing. Whereas mm -hmm. if you actually intervene and support people at the right way um and and so for example with comprehensibility as a leader of an organization you have more information about the future and you can by sharing that information with people re reduce the anxiety that they're facing because uncertainty obviously leads to anxiety so that's one area exactly. you can number two you can get information back from the organization as to how are people doing so that you mm -hmm. can actually target resources to to help people manage at the the moments that they're struggling to cope uh, and that exactly. can make all the difference and the, the final area then is that idea of actually you know sometimes life can be tough and it, we sometimes lose sense of why we're bothering to do stuff. And That's if right. um, a good leader can inspire people to the mission and the purpose as to why they're doing what they're doing. And I mean, you talk very eloquently about those people who were frontline medical workers during COVID who like put their lives on on the line uh, to go and help other people. I mean, it's stunning. And I, 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 don't, I don't think we found a way to thank them enough For, for what they did. So I, I think that's been wonderful. I mean, I, I'm interested too, just the, the shift in terms of uh, salutogenic rather than pathogenic, uh, you know, the, the world of work, people are talking hugely about sort of people struggling from um, a mental health perspective. And, you know, at the start of our conversation, uh, before we started to record, you were talking about the shift to, to talking about mental fitness. So to me, that's a that's a really important shift in mentality away from something that can be perceived as a weakness or a challenge to something saying, actually, hold on a second, I'm going to become much better at this area of my life. And I think it's something that really we haven't been trained or educated to do. So could, could you talk a little bit about sort of developing a sense of mental fitness within people so that they can cope with the world we're living in today? Mental fitness which is a, it's a broad term um, and uh, um, it, it encompasses social and behavioral and mental and even physio physiological uh, uh, components is, um, I, I, I'll, I'll center on one of the important things we do, which is increase the feeling of social support and social cohesion. For example, if there's a workplace with hundreds of people in that workplace, uh, one of the things we, we do was is um, randomly assign two workers more or less at the same level in the organization, but randomly assign them to pairs. And once a week uh, during work uh, hours, uh, so it wouldn't be at their own expense, 
have them sit with each other for 20 or 30 minutes and give them some leading questions about, you know, to talk to each other about the workplace, about the management, about, about the relations in the workplace. But very, very quickly, it may shift to talking about uh, uh, Manchester United losing 1-0 to uh, <laughs> Byron Minkum uh, uh, last night. Yeah, that's okay. Whatever, whatever they talk about, they get to know each other. They get the feeling that their problems are not their, they're not the only ones who have these problems of of feeling this way or that way in, in the workplace, um, and and the feeling that uh, other people share my problems in the workplace and may you know sometimes personal problems from from the, uh, at home. Uh, this can this can help a uh, uh, create a feeling of, of cohesion, which could, uh, by the way, uh, uh, a way to measure this is using using uh, um, measurements of uh, of uh, social networks or social the strength of social networks. How many how many ties does each one of the employees have with others within the organization, and at what levels? And we found that uh, this uh, this activity, which goes on for 12 or 14 weeks, once a week, talking to another employee. Each, by the way, each week it's a it's a different pair. I mean, we okay. we okay. assign them randomly each week, so it's not the same guy I talk to every week for 14 weeks. Yeah. Okay. Each one, each time, it's someone else. Uh, and we did some empirical measurements of of. Uh, social networks and self-efficacy, um, general self-efficacy or job self-efficacy, uh, a sense of coherence, burnout, burnout went uh, went down. Uh, so we, we have data on, on the uh, improvement in general well-being. Okay. Uh, so this increases sense of coherence and increases other things as well. So it's like speed dating for the organization. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? That's, uh, yeah, kind of speed dating, exactly. <laughs> but it's yeah. great. It, it makes an awful lot of sense because, you know, uh, that l is normally left up to random events for people to kind of get to know each other. Whereas mm -hmm. you're actually saying, you know, something, this is a really important practice. So we should actually, uh, at the expense of the company, from a time perspective, we should yeah. sort of, you know, put some practice in place to make that happen. I, I love that. I think that's that's really good. I mean, like, you know, thank you so much for explaining the salutogenesis and uh, uh, giving us insight into your dad and uh, the sense of coherence. I'm I'm interested from a, a broad perspective. I mean, the, the concept, I think once you get to understand it, it's a different orientation and I think it can be really, really helpful. Um, and, and I know when I first came upon it, uh, it was random. Um, and I'm, I'm, I thought I was the last to find out about it. Um, but I've actually realized that actually this is new news to a lot of people. And then suddenly when they use it, it, it can be wonderful and life changing. So I'm just wondering about the development broadly of um, the concept of salutogenesis. And um, yeah, because there's a couple of resources um, you were talking about um, that maybe you can talk a little bit about. Um, what what will what will success look like? When when do you know your 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 work is done and you've arrived and and your dad would be uh, looking on and sort of saying, "That's great, we've got there finally." 
Um, well, I think a short answer would be when more and more people uh, um, think salutogenically, because yeah. it's, it is a paradigm shift. A longer uh, the answer would be, you know, we will never reach it. It's like the river of life. We're, we're yeah. trying to swim towards the ease or health uh, pole, but this, this pole is, uh, you know, there's always a way to swim. Um, but I do think that um, I'll, I'll use a short example. Yeah. In a study done among uh, um, police uh, um, operation headquarters workers about what makes them, uh, what helps them feel or, or increase their mental well-being and their operational functioning. And there were interviews and, and, and focus groups and people said there, the workers said, well, when we feel that we understand our missions better, uh, and when we feel that we have the help of, uh, of resources like training and like uh, our, our commanders uh, uh, giving us, uh, you know, uh, uh, positive feedback. And when we understand why we're doing this, this helps us operate better and feel better. And uh, this was a study that I was not involved in, but I was asked to help someone sum up the findings and, and start to write a, a, an article, which was not unpublished yet. Uh, and he was telling me about these uh, results. And I said, well, you're talking about, or what they were talking about was comprehensibility, manageability, and meaningfulness. Mm. In other words, what the people were saying, when we have a, a higher sense of coherence, uh, we feel better. And he said, sense of what? <laughs> and I explained and so when when people stop saying ask when I when I give feedback and say and say well what actually what you're too, talking about is sense of coherence and they do not have to ask sense of what because they know the term yeah that would be that yeah, would be a okay. success so so a website that people can go to then is is yes yeah yes. um First, I, I would like to mention uh, the two books of Aaron Antonovsky. Sure. Uh, yeah. 1979, the first book called Health, Stress, and Coping. Uh, and the second book in 1987, Unraveling the Mystery of Health. Um, and then uh, about five, six years ago already, came out the first edition of the Handbook of Salutogenesis. Second edition came out last year in 2022, Handbook mm. of Salutogenesis, which uh, has uh, uh, dozens of chapters by researchers all around the world about uh, theoretical and empirical developments of uh, salutogenesis in many fields, not only in the field of health, but Know, work organizations and education and and uh, urban planning, you name it, um, and these can be downloaded freely. Aaron Antonovsky's books, as well as the handbooks, can be found or downloaded freely on the website of the uh, Society for Theory and Research on Salutogenesis. The acronym is STARS. Um, if you look that up. You can find it uh, yeah. on, on the web, but I mean, the, the, the address is easy to remember. It's stars-society, 
www.starhyphenstudy.org. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I, it's incredibly um, generous of you and your family uh, to to actually make um, both of Aaron's books available. And the work that all of the, the group uh, who were involved in the development of the handbook of Salutogenesis, um, it's just a, a credit to, to each and every one of them. And um, and I know you guys have conferences and the like, and uh, yeah. there's a, a center of Salutogenesis in, in Zurich, uh, and Dr. Great. Bauer is, is, is part of that, who's mm -hmm. interviewed in the, the Make Work Healthy book that we published. So like, it, it is fantastic. And I think that whole concept of coherence was something that was new to me. Um, and, I, you know, I think, Every day I'm getting a better understanding of what that actually means in reality mm -hmm. and that the time I operate best as an individual is when I have a greater sense of coherence. So if, if that is the case, I've got to hopefully teach my children what this is all about so that they can actually yes. accelerate um, their, their opportunity to get there, because the reality is that life is tough. Um, and for some people, it's a lot tougher than for others. So they're, they're in a different part of the river. Um, but regardless of where you are, um, the ability to 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 know how to swim is essential. And to, to me, the, the knowledge that you guys have provided um, and that your father inspired us all to do, uh, we owe you a, a huge debt of gratitude. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I would just like to add one note of, of thanks to, uh, well, I'm not going to name all the peoples, but there are so many people uh, who have led this or continued. Like uh, I think um, Bernie Toppin, the songwriter for Elton John, uh, and the song Candle in the Wind, there's a line there. Um, his candle burned out long before his legend ever did. Yeah, that's it. His <laughs> candle burned out long before his legend ever did. And there are so many people who have kept this legend alive. You mentioned uh, Professor Georg Bauer, who uh, is the head of the Center of Salutogenesis in Zurich and who is, specializes in, in workplaces. Uh, and he is the head of the global working group on salutogenesis and there's so many other people and i'm not going to name them because i don't want to forget anyone but they can all be found in the handbook of salutogenesis so thanks great yeah. thanks goes to all of them absolutely uh, i'm glad and, to have been here today and, and to us at, at healthy place to work your dad was a legend <laughs> and is a legend uh, so um, thank, you. thank you very much and if there's anything that we can do uh, in our work to to help support everybody involved in salutogenesis and taking that to the world um uh, just just ask the question and, and we'll be there um, and we, we, we've we've kind of converted it slightly uh, we talk about stronger so what we want to do is is make both individuals and organizations stronger and that that's the yeah. the essence of yeah. that sense of coherence so thank you thank you again for your generosity in the interview today and uh, continued success and and stay safe and healthy thank you thank you very much john Happy birthday, Aaron Antonovsky. And thanks for bringing those two concepts into our lexicon and for shaping how we think about coping. Indeed, my thanks to Avishai and the team for bringing Salutogenesis to the world. And indeed, thank you for listening to the Work Healthy podcast in 2023. 
We'll be kicking off 2024 with insights from Richard Ryan, who developed the self-determination theory with his colleague uh, DC. And we'll be learning about life at Dubai Police, along with how mental health is delivered at Unilever. Have a safe, happy and healthy Christmas from all at Healthy Place to Work.